Oh my goodness. Wow. We're actually oh doing this. Welcome to what is the first, the very first episode of St. Mark's Cathedral Conversations about Race. My name is Michael Pereira. I'm here with Kara Peterson. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you and each other about how this podcast got started. Yeah. So Michael, of course, has had the St. Mark's podcast for several years now and already has an interview format um, and is, you know, it's very kind enough to put a lot of work into releasing episodes. And uh, with the political upheaval and sort of soul-searching discoveries that the United States had about itself over 2020, uh, we thought perhaps that we could use kind of the existing structure of this podcast to start doing some storytelling with people of color from the St. Mark's community. Before we get too far, I think it might help if we introduce ourselves a little bit uh, so you kind of know whose voice is whose uh, as we continue in the conversation. And I do want to say, Kara and I have another episode planned where we go into much more detail about our individual stories coming to St. Mark's and then being people of color at St. Mark's. And we'll explore that in the next episode. Uh, for now, however, I'll just give a really quick introduction so the people who don't know my voice know a little bit about me and where this is coming from. So as I said, my name is Michael. I started coming to St. Mark's in November 2015. Just to give you a really quick overview of my own spiritual journey, I was born a Catholic overseas. I was born in Dubai, and we went to the Roman Catholic Church there. For a few years, we went to an Anglican church, uh, which was literally right next door. And then I moved to the U.S. in 2003, and uh, I came here for college, and being in college, church attendance wasn't always there. But over time, I connected with a couple of Catholic friends who lived in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, which is where I was at the time. And we did a few years, uh, well, I did a few years with them at their Catholic church. Then I moved to Washington, specifically Linwood, and for, uh, I, th I think, a few years, maybe two or so years, I went to a United Methodist Church in Edmonds, which was, it was quite eye-opening for reasons that we may get into later. Um, when I left Edmonds and moved to Seattle, again, that was kind of a gap in my church attendance, but I was renting a room from a woman who used to live in Ballard, and she took me to Mars Hill Church, the Mars Hill Church. And I know this is not about Mars Hill, uh, but that was also formational for very complicated very complicated and sometimes very contradictory reasons i went to mars hill for about six months no less than that maybe five months before i realized it was just not the place for me uh, but it was a really good introduction back into church life i had been away from church for a while where my life was at that time, there was a lot going wrong. Things were not working out in many levels. And being connected with the community, a faith community, was incredibly helpful. I moved to Shoreline after that in 2010, 2009, 2010. 
and uh, started going to a non-denominational church there, which was a wonderful experience. I still have very fond memories of it. After about four or five years there, I kind of knew it was time to move on for good reasons and for reasons that were difficult. Um, and that coincided, I think it was more of a divine coincidence with moving to Seattle proper um, and looking for a church that would be more inclusive, that would be more progressive, that had become quite important to me in 2015. And that was how I found St. Mark's. Um, I went there November 2015. It was, I, went, I went for the 7 p.m. service because I wanted something that was a bit smaller. Um, I had never been to an Episcopal church before, did not know what to expect. It was a tiny, intimate little gathering, which felt so different, but so inviting at the same time. It was so completely different from the non-denominational experience that it just sparked my curiosity. And it was a good discovery. I was looking for a place that was a lot more forward moving than my previous church experiences were. And St. Mark's was that. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it so much that I talked with Earl Grout, Deacon Earl Grout, about how I could help out more. And he put me in touch with... Uh, Liz Bartenstein and Becky Marl, both of whom have since left the church, but they got me connected with the communications department and with running the soundboard, uh, two things of which I'm still very involved in. And since then, I've also helped out with the hunger offering ministry. I've done some stuff with the sanctuary ministry, uh, the front door ministry, obviously when the cathedral was still open. And um, in 2017, I think Barbara Erickson and then Lynn Markova approached me on the same day at two different services to ask me if I'd be interested in a standing for vestry nomination. And my first thought was, that's really sweet of you to think so, but thank you and no thank you. And the second thought was, why am I still thinking about this even after I said no? And so there was a period of mini discernment um, before I finally said, this is really interesting. I want to know more. I want to experience more. So I stood for nomination and um, was elected. And as of a few weeks ago, my three-year term, uh, uh, what's the term? Elapsed? No, not elapsed. Uh, it expired. And I'm happily reclaiming my Tuesday evenings for being not in Zoom meetings for about two and a half hours. Um, and that's what brought I mean, there are so many more things that happened, but that's a little bit of where I'm coming from. Yeah, um, I have a very dull story compared to that. <laughs> I first came to St. Mark's, I think in 2003, 2004-ish on a regular basis. For a couple of years at that point, my dad had taken me to the to midnight mass on Christmas Eve because I wanted to hear the organ. And so uh, once I was, you know, nearing the end of middle school and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I decided to go to church because that, because that's how Carol rolls, I guess. <laughs> so I started going and uh, in my second or third Sunday there, I hung around and I asked the music director at the time, Mel Butler, if if he could show me the organ and he went oh sure you know he brought me upstairs and he turned it on he showed me how some of it worked and then he was like okay have fun and was like bye <laughs> I was like I just it's, and he let me just play for 
for two or three hours until I was like, oh gosh, I should go home, you know, <laughs> got to take the bus back to Ballard. Um, and after that, I, I just, I started volunteering uh, at first thinking, you know, if I want to use the space to play the organ, I should probably get to know the community. Um, and so I too was connected to Becky Morrill because I predate Earl Grout <laughs> at St. Mark's, but uh, Becky and I have time. since become good friends and uh, she is very, very important in my faith formation as someone who introduced me to liturgy and uh, really helped create the basis of a lot of the liturgy that St. Mark still uses today. Wow. So um, after that, I played the organ and I went to school. I went to college in New Jersey for organ and sacred music. And I moved back after graduating to go to the UW to get another organ degree. And at that point, you know, it was sort of, I'm back, I'm 22, I'm not in high school anymore. And so I joined the cathedral choir and just started doing things, getting asked to be on committees. And then if we're going to tell our, our, our vestry stories, <laughs> I sit next to Maria Coldwell when we can do choir safely. And one day she said, would you like to run for vestry? I'd like to put your name in. And I thought, well, I, I can't, I, I can't say no to Maria. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, well, sure. Yes, I'd be happy to run. And then um, I, I was elected and uh, it was actually in our first, my first vestry retreat in the basement of the deanery that year. Um, it was Roland Yancey who, when we were, you know, we were trying to decide who the junior wardens for the year would be. And Roland was like, I think Kara should do it. <laughs> he just, Threw that out there and I, did you know I, he was going to say that or any? no I had no <laughs> clue I, I, I was I was really shocked and but he said well you're the youngest person in the room by oh a bit and you know you've been around for at that point over 10 years and and so I did and ended up junior wardening through uh the living stones project uh project uh, that oh. happened a couple of years ago now and I think this is my entering my third year of, of free Tuesday nights, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's, I've, I've been a parishioner at St. Mark's the entire time. And even though I've, I've played at other churches, I've, you know, I was the interim music director up at St. Hilda, St. Patrick and Edmonds Linwood nice. uh, for a couple months, but I came back to St. Mark's because I, I love it. Mm. <laughs> so that's I think that sets up a really good segue into why this conversation about race is important for St. Mark's and then the Episcopal Church and then even beyond that. I mean, let's be honest, we're not a huge uh, community. Yes, we're certainly a large church, but what we do here in St. Mark's has implications, I think, for the Episcopal world around us and then that in turn has implications for the communities and the areas that we all live in. So what do you remember about our conversations, which I'll admit are, well, close to a year old now, our conversations about the need for a podcast like this at St. Mark's? Well, it was shortly after that first instance of Martin Luther King Day graffiti. Uh, 
I forget what was written on the side of the wall, but it, it was something a little bizarre. And, um, it had something I, I really was don't it remember. The thing about Marxists? Yeah, or... they, they called us Marxists or I, I don't remember. Something about polemics, I remember. Right. Polemicists. 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 That was it. Oh, that's right. We <laughs> remember we, that. We, it feels like so long ago I, now. I doubt. I just. I can't. That's only been a year. I. Oh. Oh my goodness, y'all. <laughs> but at any rate, it was around that time that, you know, of course, Saint Mark's has had a long history of of having racial reconciliation programs, and you know that's all been well and good, but it started becoming clear even then, even before the coronavirus lockdown occurred in our state, even before all, all the rest of 2020, that was already coming to a point where, you know, we as a congregation were realizing that we kind of have to step up after the, the political climate in the United States for the, the years leading up to that, particularly, yes, after 2016. And there was a lot of racial violence that had, has been on the rise and anti-Semitism and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah. and it was around that time after that graffiti that I had the idea that perhaps what we really needed to do was, was come up with a platform where underrepresented people, namely people of color of many shades of brown, could tell their stories about what it's like to live under that kind of stress all the time. And, you know, there, there's, a, there's a very different set of expectations uh, depending on how dark your skin is. And they're not almost ever there on paper, but there are just experience after experience after experience that pile up into sort of a protective shell. and makes it really difficult to talk about these sorts of things mm -hmm. and so the best way to get a conversation out in public and on the web besides complaining on Facebook I suppose is a podcast and I knew that Michael already had a podcast at St. Mark's he's been interviewing different folks around the congregation for a couple of years now and it's it's very fun you know um, and I asked him about like, is this kind of a doable thing with the step on your toes? Like, do you have time? <laughs> All of those sorts of things. And like, could we put something like this together where we have a conversation space where, you know, people can, can talk. And in the process of that, we actually, <laughs> even though Michael has been at St. Mark's for five years, you know, we seen each other on Sundays, waved hi, you know, whatever. But like, it was the first time we actually had real conversations. And we were like, well, I mean, not that we weren't expecting to become friends. We were like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Why? Where have we been all our lives? You know, no, it just flowed. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and a lot of the things that we found that we could kind of joke about were some of these weird expectations that we both sort of know exist, but haven't necessarily talked out loud about to many, if any, people. And we thought, you know what, maybe we should just record this and, and just slap it on iTunes or whatever. And of course, we decided that if we wanted to, to use the cathedral's branding and stuff that we should have an actual concrete plan. 
So we decided to come up with that first. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the um, the idea of just sitting down and talking about our quote experiences is compelling. And there are parts of it that are fun and there are parts of it that are much less fun, but that's what makes it compelling. But then to do this properly where this would be part of the cathedral's official communications, uh, living alongside all the other work that the cathedral is doing, that was a process to go through. And we'll certainly talk a little bit about that uh, later on. Uh, for my part, I've spoken with other uh, people of color at the cathedral. And Kara, like you just said, sometimes we have that understanding that we've shared a similar experience where we've been the only brown person or person of color in the room. Literally everybody else has been white and there have been assumptions made about our presence, our background, the work that we do, our interests, whatever. And I would say it's 99% not malicious, but it is usually always 100% completely uninformed. And when I would have conversations with the other people of color at the cathedral, we would recognize that. But especially with everything that happened last year, there was always the, for my part, always the desire to do more than simply have a one-off and then it just disappears into the ether and nothing follows after that. And for me, a big part was when the cathedral hosted um, the taking up our racial responsibility forums for I think three or four weeks over last summer. And this was following the murder of George Floyd and uh, the murder of Ahmad Aubrey and uh, yeah, Breonna Taylor, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was, as you said, all these conversations happening. Conversations are great, but the difficulty I had was sitting in on one or two of those taking back racial responsibility forums. And the conversation happening around me that I was still a part of was being conducted by the white members of our parish, almost exclusively for the white members of the, our parish, helping them document their biases, helping them document their unconscious racism. And I was glad that this was happening, but I felt incredibly out of place. I felt incredibly self-conscious, not for anything that they were doing or saying directly, but the fact that I, as a person of color, I felt like I did not have a place in that conversation. Um, yeah. I, um, last year when, when that, when all those announcements came out, I, and again, on my part, it wasn't because I had any malicious intent behind it, but I looked at it and the first thing I thought is I, I don't really want to sit around and listen to people disseminate their guilt with each other, but not with the people who they may have unconsciously harmed. Mm -hmm. And that is not to say though, that this work is not good, as you said, like everyone, and I, I will talk about later at some point, the different kinds of things that I am working to like the different racist thoughts and tendencies I have had that I'm trying to break down actively still and will for the rest of my life. But after the murder of George Floyd, after, after all of that stuff started coming out, I thought I don't have the emotional bandwidth to sit and listen through this. And it's not because I don't care, not by any means, but I'm in a different place where I 
I need to think about it in a different place and with a different group of people or alone. And so I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even look at it after that. And it wasn't until Michael pinged me too, that he had gone to, you know, one or two and had, had felt the way that he just described. I realized that again, it, It seemed to me, particularly, that it was a checkbox item where, yes, we're going to respond to this huge national upheaval where, like, suddenly we have now seen the feds taking people off the streets of Portland during Black Lives Matters protests, you know, and it's good to have that response and to, you know, acknowledge that, oh my gosh, we need to have conversations, but it, but it just felt like that was set up in order to say, okay, we did it. Rather than thinking, how do we start preventing this from happening in Seattle? How can we start doing the work to make sure that our black brothers and sisters actually feel safe? And, and, uh, and at that point, uh, Michael and I began in earnest to furiously email the clergy, not furiously, <laughs> not literally, I mean, hurriedly, hurriedly email the clergy uh, to, to kick off this idea and explain to them why we wanted to do it and how and for whom and, and what kinds of things we could try to get from it. And that's a great segue into why this podcast needs to exist. Something that came to me as we were doing this was I'm, I'm kind of an avid podcast consumer in the sense that I have a list of podcasts that I want to listen to. That list of podcasts is hundreds long. I'll probably never get to a fraction of them because I keep adding it to it. But while there was this huge national conversation about uh, the George Floyd murder, Black Lives Matter, police brutality, white privilege, and all the all the horrible things that were thrust into the spotlight last year. I was listening to a lot of podcasts about this, most of them non-faith-based, but I mean, certainly some of them. And I wanted to be able to add to that conversation. And the reason I wanted to add to that conversation was because I felt I had something to say, certainly as a person of color, certainly as a person of color in a church that is majority white, in a region that is majority white, and certainly as somebody with, if I flatter myself, the communication skills to be able to certainly talk about myself, but then also connect with other people who may be coming from the same place. And if they're not coming from the same place, so much the better. That adds to this dialogue that all of a sudden now the entire country is having. Granted, it's having that dialogue hundreds of years too late and after too many people have died, but you know, at least it's happening now. And so that all those ideas to be a part of that conversation, to be a part of that national period, the national moment of saying, we really need to figure this out. Plus you coming up to me and saying, I want to do something. There's a lot going on, which is not happening. That really did get the wheels turning, I think. And especially for, you know, why that's why this podcast had to happen. Something that occurs to me now and occurred to me through all the planning was, yes, this came up uh, shortly 
around the time of uh, the George Floyd killing and the deaths that preceded it and the deaths that came after it. But it continued, the idea for doing the podcast continued during the summer protests. It continued during the pandemic, which necessary to point out, the pandemic has greatly disproportionately affected people of color, especially people in native communities. The importance of doing the podcast continued during the election season. And even after there was a new presidential administration in place, the importance of doing the podcast did not diminish. In fact, I'd suggest it probably increased because we could not afford to take our foot off the pedal uh, just because there was a change in power. The importance of doing the podcast continued even into 2021 when, as of a month ago, there was a riot by white white supremacists and terrorists to try and overthrow the results of that election. And so no matter how, no matter what elapsed, no matter how much time had elapsed, the, the moment to do this has been constant. And for me, that was one of the greatest signs that this is something that absolutely needs to happen. This is not a fad or a trend or a phase that will go away just with a new headline cycle. Whatever happens, this conversation needs to take place at St. Mark's. It needs to take place, certainly in the Episcopal Church at large. It absolutely needs to happen in Seattle. And I'm not saying that we are going to launch something that completely changes the world. But I was talking with somebody about this, somebody at the cathedral, and they pointed out there were probably people who attended that Taking Up Racial Responsibility Forum last year who went to all four sessions, participated in full spirit, and left thinking, job done, mission accomplished. And it's for that very reason, I think, this is why the podcast needs to exist. Uh, we are going to have, we are going to have to address the issues in this podcast, no matter how many racial responsibility forums we have, no matter who is in the White House, no matter what year it is, the voices of people of color at the cathedral need to have their own channel to exist where you and I can sit down with them and speak in a language that we get as people who are not in the majority white culture. We share those experiences of being overlooked, of being slighted, of being taken for, uh, of being taken for granted, of assumptions being made about us. And with all due respect and love to the clergy, that's not a conversation they can have. But we can have it, and we are here in this time of 2021, in this place of being socially distanced, but we can have those conversations in a way that could not have happened before. That's why this is the right time to do it. Yeah, I 100% agree about everything you just said as usual. I, you know, initially, yes, we had planned to start perhaps asking people and recording over the summer, but then the George Floyd murder happened and all the protesting and all of the disturbing police stuff started coming out after that. And by the time that had sort of calmed down, like the couple months leading up to the election, uh, the 2020 election started and that... (laughs) That election uh, was extremely stressful for, yeah, for 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 everyone, <laughs> you know, and so we also 
realized at that point after the summer stuff, after, uh, but COVID had affected many people in the U.S. and especially people of color. And we knew that either there was going to be, we had to acknowledge that either there was going to, we were going to run the risk of installing an authoritarian regime without exaggeration, or that we would have a chance to pull the reins back on the image that the U.S. in particular and a lot of very historically white institutions like the Episcopal Church uh, would have to take that breathing room to re-examine itself and how it can go forward, but actually go forward in a way that serves everyone and takes everyone's voices into account. And especially, yes, after the, the white supremacist terrorist attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, uh, in general, in the U.S., uh, we've reached a point where it, we know that people of color from all over the country have been failed. But in general, the U.S. as a society has reached a point where it's realized that it's gravely failed a lot of different minority, particularly groups, uh, especially Black folks, especially Indigenous communities and all that sort of stuff. But it doesn't really know what to do next because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you acknowledge, you know, you do come to a point and you go, well, gosh, what I did or didn't do might not be so good. But what we've been hearing from our fellow parishioners and uh, diocesan members of color is that we just, we need a space where we can talk about these these things with each other without the possibility of having to deal with the, I didn't mean it that way, or that's not what it, what it meant at the time, which you'll hear us repeat this a lot, I think, are almost never badly intentioned, but they are extremely misinformed and are very hurtful in a lot of ways and a lot of the time. And once again, I think one of my favorite kind of backhand double-edged sword phrases that Michael has mentioned that he gets a lot or has had in the past, I hope never. One thing that Michael has mentioned has been said to him in the past is, oh, you are so well-spoken. Mm -hmm. And with the connotations that come with a person of color being told that historically, it's it comes, you know, it, 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 it hits different. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't know if you want to like try to read, like rehash any of that. I, but, I mean, uh, yeah. I think we can go into more detail in that when we do our in-depth interview uh, mm -hmm. in the next episode, but I will absolutely say, um, so, as you said, so much of what comes of people of color is always meant with the best of intentions. It's always, it always comes from a good place. And that's in a way what makes it so much more frustrating and depressing in that we cannot simply call it out and say that was a terrible thing to say in the sense that it's a very backhanded compliment when the person giving the compliment has no inclination whatsoever that they are in effect, speaking down to us, whether it's uh, 
you know, so many things like you're so well-spoken. I love your hair. Let me touch it. I love your skin. Let me touch it. Whatever. The people doing that almost never have any ill will, but there's almost a complete blinder over their eyes or in what they say that really speaks to the, let me use a strong term here, really speaks to the obliviousness of where they're coming from, but also makes it that much more difficult for, to address to them, here's why what you said or what you did was not the right thing to do. And something I'm hoping that we can do with this podcast is to hear it in the words of the people who have experienced that, uh, so that these kinds of faux pas just are, are crushed, that they are reduced and diminished. Because now, maybe for the first time in this church's history, there is a channel by which the people of color can be heard in a safe way that it's just us and them. And yes, many hundreds of listeners, we know. But in the moment, it is just three people of color talking to each other about what they've experienced. And just as a preview, um, last week, Kara and I talked with a future guest who will be uh, in one of our very early episodes. And this guest told us about an experience that they had at St. Mark's with somebody who uh, asked an inappropriate question, said something that was inappropriate. And Kara and I, I think we both instantly related to that. We've all been in a position where something inappropriate was said or done or asked or whatever. And we were not in a position where we could easily or quickly pull the other person aside and say, we need to talk about what you just said. Sometimes this happens at coffee hour. Sometimes this happens in a very, in a moment where we just have to roll with that punch. And the person who told us this story was so graceful in how she said it. And I mean graceful in the literal sense, but also in the spiritual sense. This wasn't about naming or shaming uh, the individual who said the inappropriate thing. This was about being very honest that because she is a person of color, she had a very challenging experience. And she told it in such a wonderful way that really speaks to what we're trying to do with this podcast, which is not to burn the building to the ground, but is to pull the veil back a little and say, there are things we need to talk about. There are things specifically the church needs to hear, not just from me as you know, former vestry member, communications member, whatever, but there are things the church needs to hear from the people who pledge, from the people who, if the building weren't closed, will be singing right next to us, would be taking communion right next to us, would be handing us a program or doing something to make St. Mark's the wonderful community it is. Their stories are valid. Their experiences are valid. For so long, we've heard the invitation that we need to hear minority voices. We need to amplify the voices of people of color. This is that channel. This is not going to be the only channel where that happens, but I don't think anything like this has happened before. I don't think anything like this has been done at St. Mark's before. And we want to amplify those voices. We want to give the people of color at St. Mark's a place where they can speak out and a place where they can be heard. Hello. Thank you for listening to this conversation between Kara Peterson and myself. 
If you would like to hear the next part of this episode, you can find it on the St. Mark's website or wherever you get your podcasts.